Welcome to ColorCast Shuffle. I'm Tristan Schneider from the ColorCast team. Today's episode is a belly up sports podcast called F in Sports. Normally, the show has teachers grade sports' greatest issues. However, this time, host Parker Ainsworth changes things up and interviews Marin Gator, author of Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. Parker's style is easy and relatable, and the episode touches on story gathering during a pandemic and goes into the unlikely story of how a boy born in Greece to Nigerian immigrants becomes a 2021 NBA champion and NBA Finals MVP. The episode slaps you with some throwback beat drops between Parker's fun episode segments. Without further ado, F in Sports, aired originally on August 24th, 2021. The episode is a little under 50 minutes. Enjoy. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of F in Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. Except today, we have a little bit different episode. We're going to do what's called a writer's workshop with a very special guest. Our guest writer will be revealed in a moment. But first, let's dive into some gold stars and detentions. Our first gold star is going to kind of Maria Andrzejczyk, a Polish javelinist from the Tokyo Olympics. It's also kind of going to go to Zabka, uh, which is a chain of Polish supermarkets. So Maria was going to auction off her Olympic medal, a silver medal for 125,000 US dollars to try and help pay for surgery for eight month old at Stanford University. This Zabka chain of Polish supermarkets put in the winning bid, 125000 and told her to just keep the medal. They paid to send her eight-month-old to Stanford. And so shout-out to Zabka. Shout-out for, frankly, also Maria Andreska for being that giving. Like, that's a very big life accomplishment. But obviously, that was going you know, to pale in comparison and was a, a giving opportunity for her. So shout-out. They both get a gold star in this instance. Now, you know this next gold star is going to go to Zoe Frost, who makes grills in Houston for kind of Jalen Green. Now, this is a very silly thing, but it's a cool way to see Jalen Green adopt himself into the Houston culture and grills and cars and early 2000s hip-hop and so on. I know it's a really, really little thing to so many people on the outside, but if you think about this on the Houstonian perspective, this is a Southern California kid who talked a lot about Detroit coming into the draft, wanted to be the number one pick and so on, and he is completely adopting the city of Houston as his second home, his home away from home. It's really cool to see a guy dive face first into the culture. So while like grill seems flashy and silly to a lot, because it kind of is, <laughs> we're gonna give him a gold star for diving face first into the city of Houston. First detention is gonna go to anyone and everyone who made a Mark Jackson, Sonia Curry, meme uh so sonia curry and del curry filed for divorce that's steph and seth curry's parents filed for divorce this week and a lot of the internet said to use as a chance to jump on the mark jackson memes and gifs and so on that this ain't the time for that detention for that that's not what we're doing on twitter i know that that's where sports twitter tends to go but that's not what we need to be doing right now it's a very personal private family issue did blow up and go public, obviously, because of their personas. But we don't need to be pulling out the gifts and memes for what is, I'm sure, a very hard time 
for the Curry family. Again, this is coming from me, a guy that slanders the Currys all the time. Now is not the time. Second detention and final detention goes to, frankly, all of NBA 2K 2022 ratings and things I'm seeing online right now. Things like rankings of super teams and giving powers to super teams is weird in itself. But then to be giving it to like homegrown drafted teams, like a lot of the current Warriors team is people that were drafted by Golden State. And to make that a super team online is weird. Um, all of these ratings are weird. The fact that you can see all these 99s in EA Madden and see no 99s in 2K is odd. Like some of the best basketball players of all time are playing right now. And they probably need to be rated as such. It only feeds this kind of overwhelming, oh, back in my day, attitude about basketball, which is really unique to basketball and not other sports. Like people think of Tom Brady as the best quarterback, but refuse to believe that the best basketball player could be playing right now. And seeing something like NBA 2K give a Jordan from the 90s and 99 and give no one in modern basketball higher than like a 96 only feeds into that. So detention to NBA 2K 22 and anyone who's buying into this crap anyway. As we said earlier, this week's edition of FN Sports is a little bit different. We have a writer's workshop with New York Times best-selling author Marin Fader. Marin Fader works for TheRinger.com currently. She's worked for Bleach Report and others in the past. You can find all of her work at MarinFader.com. Some of her latest stuff will be also posted, obviously, on TheRinger.com. But she joins us today to talk about her New York Times best-selling Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP, in which she chronicles the life of Giannis leading up to his choice to re-sign with the Bucks last December. The book did come out within weeks of Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis winning the NBA championship and his first finals MVP. Talk about some serendipity and great, great timing. We'll talk to her about that as well. But instead of listening to me go on and on about Mirren's writing, let's hear it from her. <laughs> All right, we are joined on FN Sports by New York Times best-selling author, Marin Fader. How are we doing, Marin? I'm good. I'm not over this intro. I'm still in shock, <laughs> but I'm good. How are you? It's good to be here. I'm good. I'm good. Are you really in shock? You knew it was really good when you finished it, right? No, I never finish things and I'm like, well, that was good. I don't think that at all. Um, <laughs> I'm totally in shock. In fact, I, you know, we knew when the list was coming out, like the exact time that they posted and I was already preparing to be disappointed and what I'm going to, you know, I was going over what to tell my friends and family who, you know, were checking my Amazon rankings because I didn't want to get involved. And <laughs> I was like, you do it, dad. It's fine. I don't want to look at it. And um, yeah, I was just so shocked. So shocked. So <laughs> For those of you that are out of the loop a little bit, uh, Miriam just finished and is on a, a whirlwind tour because of the timing <laughs> of it all. Giannis, the improbable rise of an MVP, an NBA MVP. First question for the New York Times bestseller, Miriam. Can you eat a 50-piece chicken McNugget or a 50-piece chicken mini and a Sprite with lemonade? Can you eat one of those? Yes. And, you know, if you have a fast Chick-fil-A, I'm like, you know, today would be a good day to get some chicks because of Giannis. <laughs> They they call it, just call it the Giannis. You walk up. I I, I need one of those. Uh, I would love to be honest. Do that. No. I'm gonna do that. They're gonna look at me like, who are you? This is this is too much. 
<laughs> I mean, clearly it's a common order because, or at least for one guy. Um, Trendsetter. <laughs> Miriam, <laughs> I, I got to ask, as someone who's enjoyed reading you for a while now, I know that you're a coffee shop writer. Oh, yes. um, this book gets okayed in December. It was December of 19 or January of 20. I remember yep. the tweet storm of sorts when this was coming around. Yeah. Um, and then like three months later, the whole world shuts down. Uh, that's no coffee shops. I got to ask a couple questions about the process of this and the doing of making a book. So what, I mean, obviously big changes happen, right? Zoom and so on. What changes did you enjoy? Was there any change in the you know pandemic writing that you enjoyed? I mean, I, um, this was the first time where I got to be home, you know, before when I was working at Bleacher Report, I was on a plane like every other week and I really missed home. I missed seeing my parents' dog. I missed going over there for dinner. I missed like things in my friends' lives. And, you know, I actually enjoyed just being in one place. Um, and I got a coffee subscription because I couldn't go to the coffee shop. So shout out to Bixby. Sponsor me. Um, they're, my favorite. <laughs> they're my favorite indie coffee shop. And um, well, they're not a physical shop, but they're an online store and I love them. Um, and, you know, it was just really good for me to have a reset. Obviously, this was a painful time period. I never wanted to have this at all. And it made my job so hard. But um, yeah, there, there was joy in just like getting to... Um, stop for a second that, right like i think it, everyone realized how much life can be better when we slow down over the course of this um it didn't necessarily slow down for you you just didn't move it right <laughs> actually got way harder and more busier <laughs> actually nothing slowed down and then i changed jobs but but at least being in one spot you know i felt myself at least a little more grounded both feet on the ground but yeah things got insanely busy as you know i had one year to do the book instead of two years which is what normal authors are given yeah and there was this serendipitous timing we'll talk about at the end i think i've heard that word a thousand times surrounding this book but i, I will talk about that closer <laughs> to the end were there any interviews that you think went better you did 221 interviews at the famous number passed around with any of these that went better because of zoom ones that you wish you could have done not on Zoom. Obviously, everyone wants to go see Greece, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think um, there was a tolerance from both ends of like understanding of how hard this is. And maybe that made the interviews better because we were both, you know, vulnerable and how are you and how's your family? And it, it got, you know, you got to that intimate connection a little earlier in the interview than maybe if it was in normal times. And so even though it was over Zoom, I found that people were willing to, I don't know, connect more and be a little bit more compassionate and understanding because of this like global humbling that we've all been through. Um, of course, recreating a city, Athens, where I'm not in Athens, I'm in Los Angeles in my apartment with my subscription coffee is quite different. Um, but I think it just it really forced me to be, you know, more relentless in trying to get details. Okay, I'm not there. Can you describe the street? What did the cafe look like? What's around it? You know, it just like really forced you to ask even more questions than you ordinarily would, because it's like, you know, the publisher wasn't like, oh, Marin, like it's a pandemic. Like, I understand this is going to be rough. Like you can have more time. It's like, no. All right. Writer's right. It's a pandemic. It's still due March 1st, 2021. Figure it out, you know? <laughs> well, and that's weirdly like, because you write with your senses very well, right? And so it's like when you lose one sense, you 
you have to throw the other four really what like you know like just have to develop them in a weird way exactly exactly and just being um you know accepting of your limitations but also just trying like hell to make up for them you know i didn't want to make an excuse i was really worried that it wouldn't be a good product because of all of these things but then i had to like really battle with myself this whole pandemic of just like okay let's not think about that let's just pour your energy into doing a good job and reporting the heck out of this don't think about what if it's not there was a lot of what ifs it, one of my friends in the industry was like i'm gonna block you if you say what if one more time <laughs> he's like, what if this isn't good what if i don't get this what if, what if? he's like if you say what if one more time we're done and he did a screenshot of like blocking my content <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny actually that's really because like that's like the time you need someone to talk to is like listen yes. this <laughs> he's like if you don't stop like you are getting blocked it was it was serious <laughs> and you didn't stop you kept you kept stop. asking just just didn't stop maybe not as much with him but you didn't stop asking what if you deep yeah. dive a lot of different like avenues and things like that um I, I got to ask you, so when I think, and this is probably because I'm a teacher, when I think of biography of athletes, that's frequently like kids' books, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that pejoratively, frankly, I could never write any of these, right? Much in a kid's book, I think the language choice had to be much more delicate. This is not a kid's book. This is very real. Right. Um, and it's a whole different set of challenges. That was obviously an intentional move, right? So what was the thought there? Yeah, like, you know, I think... Um... Giannis's story is so inspirational that I do think there's a tendency to like sanitize it a bit and make it palatable and, you know, really be on the fuzzy lightheartedness. And there's totally those elements too, but there's also like very serious, darker elements like racism and immigration and globalism. And all of those things are, are very true and accurate. And so I think for me, it was like, I wanted to write a book that did justice to his story and not just his story, but the political, social, economic context that he lives in and lived in. And, you know, it's interesting because um, I want kids to be familiar with this side of the story too, because they're growing up in this world as well and need to be aware of the political context. And surely they are, as we are all thinking about identity in numerous ways nowadays. And, um, it's interesting, like when I was a kid and I, you know, was looking up to people in the NBA and WNBA, you know, I always wanted to know, like, what, how did they get here? It's really simple. As a kid, you want to know, like, how did they do it? Like, what did they, where did they come from? It's like very simple. And I think if you think like a child and you write like, a, you know, with the curiosity of a child, it really, sports biographies distill to those two questions. Yeah. And it's funny because you talk about like, where did they come from? We know the folklore of like, you know, Jordan and he gets cut as a sophomore or whatever. And then, you know, and we know a lot about a lot of these American folks. Uh, right. Giannis' story, there's just, there was this big gap in the middle that you've now filled in for all of us, right? It's it's obviously a fascinating story. I don't mean that it should have been a kid's book by any stretch. It's just, it, it's, no, yeah. it's very real. Like there are some things that like, I, I teach in the middle school. So like some middle what? school kids, maybe, but like, you don't want a little kid knowing about like right. the swat because everywhere, like there, there was a real, that's a real life thing. Um, right. Right. We talked about census earlier. I, and diving into the contents of the book, there was a lot about food. Mm. Um, I, I just noted, like, there was souvlaki in Greece, and there was 
Nigerian cuisines mentioned. There were obviously like the epilogue will have Chick-fil-A in it. Uh, there's all the smoothie talk. Um, I, I also think there's part of this is like there is an absence of food too. Like that was also important. Was that intentional or am I making a lot out of nothing? No, you're intentional. And I'm so happy that you, um, that you picked up on this because that was a major motif in the book. There's a couple of motifs. Shoes is one of them and food is one of them. And, um, there is one chapter called hunger. And I wanted to put that first because it's a metaphor for the entire book. There's the literal hunger with the food and then there's the hunger and desire to be something and somebody. And so I, I set up food as this motif to kind of show those double layers of meaning. And, you know, with Giannis, like somebody who, um, somebody who grows up knowing acutely how much food they have or don't have is going to be affected by that for the rest of their lives. And I think sometimes when people, um, you know, read narratives about people that come from really difficult backgrounds, they tend to think that once their circumstances change and they get money, that they no longer have those issues. And so it was important for the book to have food as a repeating motif, because it's, it's not like you, your circumstances change, and you don't have those same insecurities. In some way, you will always be think like you're food insecure, even though you know you have. Um, there's an anecdote in the book about Oreos. And I think that's the most searing anecdote in the book um, because it just really represents like how his mentality was shaped by this hunger for so many years. Yeah, I'm not I'm not ever taking anyone's Oreos or gummy bears or things ever. that I think of like, yeah, ever again, ever again. <laughs> um, I, that was a fascinating anecdote and I don't want to give too much away, but read the book. It, it's really good. Um, I also, that was interesting that like, I think it was the NASA's, one of the brothers sits down with someone and they're like, and he's like, I can just eat all of this and starts like double breading his right. own Slovakia or whatever. It's like, once it's there, it's like, I have to take in everything. Exactly. Um, exactly. Or or take some to go and, and Giannis and his Rubbermaid boxes and never knowing if you're going to have more. And yeah, it's it's such a thing. It's such a thing. I've been hearing a lot of, you know, people who have read the book that are just like, wow, I went through this myself. Me and my family are fine now. We're middle class. But growing up, I really didn't have much. And I always am acutely aware of these things. And that's very real. You kind of don't lose that instinct. So I'm glad that that's in there because I think that's realistic. You know, you don't really lose that even though you have more money. Completely. One other thing that's realistic about the book that I think is like a very hard truth of Giannis's life is he's constantly running, you know, he, his family, people like them in Greece are running into racism and then running into immigration things. And this entire, like, this struggle of just existing in these spaces, Sepolia, Milwaukee, wherever, obviously we know it's tough to come to the United States at 18, but did you know about all of that back when you jumped into this book or was that a surprise? Do you have some hints or was that really new? Yeah, it was really, really new. I mean, I had a hunch for sure that he experienced racism just because like, you know, it's so common, not in America, obviously, but in Europe, you know, of course, like that have heavy, you know, immigrant populations, like it's going to happen. And so my thing was like, how come we haven't heard much about this? And I think the entire childhood period just hasn't really been covered and let alone the racism. And I do think because his story is so awesome and inspiring, people gloss over that or it's just not told for whatever reason. Um, but it was it was just really important to have that in there because Giannis doesn't exist in a vacuum. You know, he is a person and an athlete and his identity intersects with how he moves through the world and how people treat him in that world then and now. And so in order to understand what he 
means to his home country and how he feels about his home country and the country where his parents are from, Nigeria, you kind of have to contend with all these facets of his identity. Yeah, and I, I think that is interesting because his identity gets tied to places and places is its own, each place, I should say, is its own character in your book. It obviously ends with, if we're, talking, if we're going to give away chapter titles, it ends with home. Right. Um, but the book, I, I describe this because I'm a history teacher, not a math teacher. The book's like 50%, it. it's 50% Milwaukee, 50% being an immigrant, and 50% about Giannis. I know the math's kind of funky there, but like it really is constantly about the inner workings of spaces. And like he's a person that embodies a lot of spaces. Man, thank you for saying that. That's you know, literally what I wanted people to think. Um, because I think like there's a tendency to just not create context when we talk about athletes. We forget that they're human and, and humans are treated differently in this world. And, you know, place is a character and, and Giannis is treated differently depending on where he goes. And it's he has not just one foot in one country and one foot in another country, but many different countries, wherever he goes. And it, it's not, it, it's important to note that he didn't just come to America. He came to one of the most segregated cities in America. He um, wasn't just in Sepolia at the time of an economic recession. He was there with a neo-Nazi far-right group named Golden Dawn that came to power. You know, like all of these things are so important to talk about because we talk about his miraculous rise Yes, it is so miraculous that he made it to the NBA, given that he was barely scouted, started playing basketball late, played in a division nobody's ever heard of. But it's also miraculous because he was able to transcend all of these things without papers, without any help, without any, you know, it's, it's really the, the political side is almost, to, in my opinion, is a little bit more interesting, more interesting than the basketball. Well, and isn't that fascinating that, like, obviously – you've uncovered in the book, but like, this is an entire world that I felt like was like we talked about just a void. It, it was just not discussed. So we talk about places. You, you seem to use place as a character very well. And it seems very much intentional. And I think that that's kind of what you're just saying. He re references, he references home in the last or the tweet for the free agency signing, right? He resigns in Milwaukee. I'm coming home or, or whatever the phrase was exactly. Had you written the title of your final chapter yet? Did you know home was, was that another serendipitous moment or was that on purpose? No, it, it's, it came together because of that tweet. So I, you know, the, the end of the book was like, oh, OMG, what do I do? It was this like thing that was just there. And I was like, oh, dang, I'm going to have to get there at some point. I don't know how, because, you know, I, I got the book deal in March, 2020. I did not know that Giannis was going to stay in Milwaukee or not. So I started really chronologically because I was like, I don't know how to end this book. I really don't. Um, and when he did that tweet and he said, this is my home, it just all clicked for me. And I was like, we're going to call it, yeah, we're going to call it home places a character all these things that you're talking about which by the way like thank you for seeing that because that's you know I worked really hard to establish those themes so that people would make those connections and um the reason I loved that tweet so much is like he didn't have to say that you know it goes beyond like I want to stay here and win a championship you know home is is such a loaded word and I think Giannis has been searching for this his whole life in some ways. He, you know, I chronicle the evictions that he and his family had early on in the book and always sort of moving, being transitory, not really having a place to call your own, your home. Then he makes enough money that he has a home, but he's 
back and forth between the U.S. and, and Greece. And then he's contending with Nigeria and all these things that are important to him. He has many homes, right? And then Milwaukee becomes an actual home. And so I, I just think like searching for home, it's not just a physical place, it's a place of belonging. And I think his whole life he's been searching to belong. Well, and, and he has this home in Milwaukee. He's got his family there with, obviously, when they play elsewhere, they play elsewhere, but they seem to all home base, it looks like, right. in Milwaukee. He's got his own child now. I mean, it really is becoming his familial home. And I think it's interesting that if I'm looking at sports in 2020, there's a lot of, obviously, very historic moments from that year, weirdly. But the historic sports moment, to me, also involves the Milwaukee Bucks uh, when they walk out in the bubble. I, I learned a lot about, I mean, obviously we'd seen some of the awful video of, of right. incidents coming out of there, but I learned a lot about Milwaukee and the Bucks in the course of that as well. Um, you touch on that a little bit in the book, but can you expand a little bit more like the impact that has on a guy like Giannis? Like this is not his homeland. He's not choosing to be in Milwaukee. Like I, that he got drafted there. That's just where he stuck kind of. Yeah, I, you know, I knew that there were, you know, racial tensions in Milwaukee, but there is in every state. So I didn't think like, oh, Milwaukee in particular, but yeah, and learning the stats about, you know, how much black tenants are evicted and um, the rates of violence, um, you know, with police killing unarmed black men and um, incarceration rates for black men and black women. And he's drafted to essentially an incredibly polarized, segregated place um, where people that look like him are subjugated and not treated well. And um, I think that was fascinating that he learned how race works in America through teammates like Karan Butler, you know, John Henson, like teammates that were saying like, this is how it is in America, because he's coming from a his own dynamic in Greece, which is different. Um, and I think it was really interesting to watch Giannis be vocal in the Black Lives Matter protests, um, at, you know, through the pandemic, because he has this kind of hesitance to talk about race um, throughout his career for obvious reasons, right? Like if a neo-Nazi group is calling you a chimpanzee on national television from your home country, right. you barely escaped with papers, you're not necessarily going to speak out about a neo-Nazi criminal organization. It just makes sense, you know? Um, and so I, I just, it's been fascinating to watch him speak out more. And I, I think there's so much more room for him to have an even bigger platform. Well, and it's interesting because certainly in the beginning of his career, when it's just him and his brother in the States, He's not going to be super vocal because he's got to get his family here, right? Like, right. like that right. would that could really set things back. Um, I thought it was interesting, and you talked a lot about it in the book that his emphasis on activism in America is because it's like, again, this is home, and now I have child. Child has to live in America now, right? Right. Yeah, and that, and he said that in the protest, he was like, "I want my kid to feel safe here, walking these streets." You know, I don't want my kid to live in fear. You know, he's raising a a black child in America, and and how different that is from Sapolia and the challenges he faced growing up versus the ones his son will face. Um, because it doesn't matter if you're the child of a superstar; it doesn't matter. They will just see you for your race, and that's unfortunately the way things work um, in America and, and Europe elsewhere. Um, so I just think Giannis is just really um, has so much potential to use his voice even for even more good. I, I think people really want to hear from him. I think there's just such a hunger to, you know, hear from him and, and learn more about what he thinks. And there's more, I think there's even more of an interest about who he is as a person than, you know, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Yeah, and it's weirdly something that makes him a lot more like his peers because you see athletes being very active across sports, 
certainly in the NBA, that not people that are very shy about letting us know, like, hey, we need to do better as a state, country, planet, city, whatever, right? Right. One thing that I think does make him different from his colleagues is he has this constant, you know, you mentioned the tears as a young player. You mentioned there's this humility throughout the book. He got a lot of flack throughout the playoffs for some of those very same things, right? The Kevin Durant is the best player on earth quote. The, you know, I can't believe, I don't know what I would do without Chris Middleton. It was something to that effect, right? You're hearing those happen this summer. You're not surprised, right? That all makes sense. That all tracks. That all tracks. And also, I thought they were really lovely things to say. I thought they were really positive. I think he's like such a good role model for like how for, for children and teens of how to uplift your teammates, respect them, um, talk about them, interact with them how to have respect for your peers. I don't understand why we have this stupid mentality, clickbait mentality where you can praise another player. And that means that you somehow don't think you're as good. What? Who? I'm sorry. Who's reading comprehension <laughs> skills are these? I thought it was a really lovely thing to say. And I, I same with Chris Middleton, like championships aren't one alone. I don't, <laughs> You know, like you will hear MJ talking about Kerr. You will like it just makes no sense. Like I have no idea. I think sports media is broken in so many ways. It's corrupt from the TV influence, and we're just steering. It, it's it's really sad because I actually think you know the next day should have been a robust conversation about you know sportsmanship and and teammates and how and the, and the struggles they all. Chris and him went together from winning 15 games till now. And, you know, did you ever have times where you wanted to be the alpha and he wanted to be, I mean, I just think there's so many other directions you could have taken it, but it of right. course, just went to this like stupid um, discourse. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, you're not, you're preaching the choir here. I mean, anyone who listened to the show, I gave Skip Bayless a detention last week. Like yeah. <laughs> you were, he Enjoy is a big offender. Please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just thought it was interesting and because I'm obviously doing this in the diverse order that you did, right? You wrote the book and then saw that stuff happen. I saw this happen. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I read the book. And I'm like, oh, that all that all makes sense, right? <laughs> right. right. That's, that all is just the same the same guy. Right. Um, all right. So this book emphasizes it's in the title, The Rise, and it's full of victories and setbacks to struggle. You hint throughout the book at the struggle for a championship. Right. You don't know when you're writing this that it's come. I don't think if you do, oh. I, we got to talk and we got to go to Vegas. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how. So, what you're writing in that direction before there's a title, and then the title happens, and then the book comes out. So, aside from being perfectly, you know, a great gambler, what was the, what was the purpose of that? Why is the title the thing that you're writing towards? Well, it's it's funny because my friends are like are you a witch can you write about my favorite players so we can win the championship I'm like I don't think it works like that but um I just think there was so much um so okay originally the book was pegged to come out at this time because we thought he would be in free agency and obviously it would be the biggest story of the, the summer and there's a lot of context about the Bucks as a franchise and, you know, how it started and how the generational player always seems to leave, right? We, we set up Kareem, we set up this history of, you know, the Bucks leaving for Atlanta originally and all these sort of factors that happened before Giannis, decades of mediocrity. So I'm writing in this context of like, here's a struggling franchise that almost leaves the city. 
Giannis literally saves the Bucks from leaving Milwaukee, right? Like it was a very real possibility that they could have left like the Supersonics did. And that was literally in conversation for decades, especially when he got there. And so then the Bucks get really good when Giannis comes. <laughs> and it's like the oh. super momentum is building towards the end of the book. But of course, I think it just ends there because the Bucks aren't going to win, right? Like they never win. Like it's like you always you you weren't you you have hope, but you get disappointed, and then you keep hoping, and then you keep, it's like the life, the psychology of a Bucks fan, right? So, I just thought, okay, they need this guy if they ever want to do this, and it was I wrote it like that if they ever want to do this. Okay, so obviously I didn't think they were going to do this when the book was literally being printed, and. Of course, everyone's like, oh, my God, it ends before that. But I still think it shows you how awesome it is now that they won, because now you know all the struggle that this franchise and this player went through to get to this point. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the epilogue of winning a title, I don't mean to make it not every title is the same. They're not all homogenous, but there is something weird there, right? Where like, yeah, of course they won. Where the book without that, you know, knowing that when you're writing it, I think it's interesting that that's the like, climax that you don't even intend on um it also he's the championship and like like he's the success he's he states um and and i think that that was fascinating but the whirlwind that has come after is only because they went i mean not only because but they win the title right like your life has been really (laughs) also turned upside down by the city of milwaukee winning a championship yes um I have not really slept since the Bucks won a championship. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, it's a privilege. You know, it, it thrust me into the spotlight. Um, you know, of course, I, I I'm proud of the book regardless. But of course, like it created such a you know, um, such a buzz around the book, which I'm thankful for. But yeah, it's been so crazy, and of course, I never expected this. Of, like as you know there's so much in the book that talks about how the bucks are gonna bucks and they're not gonna <laughs> and so you know it's just it was thrilling to see it happen not just for personal you know reasons which of course i'm rooting for me if you got a root for me. um but you know all the bucks fans i interviewed in the book um they got to have their moment in the sun so it's been chaotic but it's been really you know awesome it's a privilege for sure yeah, and it's just the, it's wild that it all happened. I mean, they're they're a Kevin Durant shoe size here, or or tweaked Tammy right. there, or whatever. like it it all just worked out. Uh, it's wild, wild. But that's um, let me just that's Giannis's story. There's all these improbable moments that just miraculously occur. Like, what if the Greek government never grants him citizenship? He doesn't go to the NBA. What if? Um, you know, what if he, what if that guy Spiros never sees him playing tag and then he never goes to feel up what he goes? Like, what if the Bucks, you know, don't draft him? You know, what if, um, you know, there's just a million what ifs, you know? I, I just think it's, it's just, he, with my what if, he, yeah, I was just I was like, gonna say we're coming full circle. Like, yeah, I really got to take that out of my vocab, but but wow, uh, my friend, you should block me after this, Parker. But um, <laughs> yes, you know, I just think like, of course they want it in this miraculous, unfathomable way. His whole journey is like that. It's a series of events of of sorry to be annoying, improbable things. No, I mean, and it's it's intentionally named, right? It is improbable. Right. Um, this is not the first serendipitous time you've written about athletes, though, right? Obviously, 
whenever you write about someone, you go very full on deep dive in. It's great stuff. We're going to link stuff all throughout the description and show notes. for People want to read more about, about and by Mirren. But you cover LaMelo in Lithuania. <laughs> He's rookie of the year. Right. Like, like that's kind of someone who has enjoyed reading you. That was kind of like the national, like, who's this Marin Vader? And it's like, now he's rookie of the year, right? That worked out. That worked well. That worked out very nicely, I must say. Thanks, Lavella. Um, You had Arike, you covered in 2018. Arike is now like WNBA All-Star Game MVP. I'm at, living in Dallas. Great to watch. Right? She's great. She's awesome. You write about Liz Cambage around the time she breaks the scoring record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also down um, <laughs> at the time and where she's big. Um, but obviously as a Rockets guy, you write about Jay Sean Tate. Great story. Great story. He ends up making all rookie team. Uh, you can go back to like Devonte Adams and like now his quarterback's MVP. And like, there's all the stories about him and like, well, does he stay? Does he go kind of stuff? Um, I also noticed you wrote about Jalen green back in 2018, which makes me think that he'll be the, you know, first guy in modern <laughs> basketball to be the finals MVP as a rookie, right? That's the Rockets thing. That's how this goes. I, I just, I guess Not my thought is, <laughs> my real question though is, aside from talking about how great Jalen Green is, is how are you picking athletes? Because you're finding stories that are about people that we're all going to want to know about and you're way at the front of it. It's, thank you for saying that, Parker. You know, it's interesting that you would say that because we just had a meeting um, with the ringer today and I was thinking as I was sitting here in this meeting, I was like, God, it is like so hard to come up with ideas. I think because, you know, I write these things like you just listed, it seems so easy, right? Like just pick somebody that's successful. But a lot of the people I pick are actually not like they're successful, but they're not there yet. I like I like picking people that are like on the rise or have something interesting about them and then they blow up. Like I love that because I love learning how they got there right? How did you get there and where are you from? Like, I, that's my, those are my two things. And um, I think it's one of the most hardest parts about being a writer is picking the subjects. And because sometimes I'm interested in somebody and they don't want to talk or, you know, maybe they do want to talk and then the interview doesn't go well. And then the story sucks. Like, I think there's just so many factors involved in making a good story. But as far as choosing these people, if you notice, there's always some piece of adversity that this athlete or you know this person has gone through and I don't really like to write about people where everything has gone perfect I really don't like the the prodigy I really don't like everything's peaches you know I don't, I don't like that I think it's boring and I think I like to pick people that whose journeys are circuitous and and I think that there's a lot of things that people can read it and see and get inspired by in the stories. You know, I think these themes are universal. So it's more about like what they've gone through. And that requires a tremendous amount of pre-reporting before I even pitch it to my editors. Do you think there is some correlation between people that survive all of that really hard real life stuff and then sports ends up being kind of like, Oh, I'm really good at this. I think so. I mean, I think um, that's why like, for example, with Giannis, the counting at the free throw line doesn't really phase him. I mean, how is that going to phase you when you've gone through literal hunger, you know? Um, somebody like Jalen Green, who's who's just battle-tested and been through a lot, is not really going to feel phased by celebrity at, at you know, a young age. Uh, somebody like Jay Sean Tate, who literally at every turn had everything against him. Nobody thought he was going to be good. And it created a tremendous confidence in himself. You know, it's, it's not just like, I don't like presenting 
just what people have been through, but what they learn from it, what they take from it, how it makes them wiser, stronger, better, more empathetic, more compassionate, um, more competitive. I think it's, it's fascinating to see how these life events have shaped them into the humans that they are. Completely. And we all get to watch the fun part, right? Like they've done all this before or not on camera, at least, if not before. And now we're watching them play a game and cheering or booing or, or whatever. I hope we're not doing anything too much worse than booing. Um, but it's just fascinating that <laughs> you're shaking your head. Yeah. Some people a little worse. Right. You're right. <laughs> Well, it's funny, um, I'm like dead ass silent and my friends are like, is she mad? Is she having a bad day? But I'm studying them. I'm looking at the players and I'm like, hmm, I wonder like what his background is. I'm like very curious. I'm very like student of the game. I, I don't really cheer. I don't really boo. I'm like, I look like I'm having the worst time in the world, but I'm actually having such an awesome time. <laughs> I'm actually a really bad Super Bowl party guest for the same reason. So like I watch the game and talk during the commercials right. um, and I famously for like 10 or so years now have not been around people with Super Bowl because I also want to watch the commercial Super Bowl. So that means I'm not talking right. for four hours, right? Like, <laughs> like that's just how that goes. You gotta watch a game, which just be two people in silence. <laughs> just you, only quiet, just, like, you hear the crunch of the tips. That's it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. The other thing I noticed about all of these athletes is there's a consistent international focus. Um, obviously Giannis, Jayshon, plays in Australia, Lamelo, Lithuania, Cambage is Australian. I, I could go down more. Is that intentional or is that just where you're seeing more entry because it's different? Yeah, intentional. I think like we're not exploring international stories in the way that we should. Um, it's an untapped market. Um, clearly sports leagues are trying to be global and it's surprised me that sports media companies haven't explored more of that. Um, I think they're starting to for sure. You see some offices, like I know the Athletic has an office in the UK, I think. And I know Bleacher has one in the UK, but really it's like, there's just, you're trying to separate yourself as a writer. Like you're competing, you know, there's so few of us left. You're, you're really competing with people. And if everyone's going for the same people in America, here's how I can differentiate myself. Talk about people not from here. Um, and I also just find it more interesting. You know, there's, there's, there's social political context that goes with that. And I really love traveling, you know, pre-pandemic. I, I really was not a traveler before I became a journalist. I was, it really pulled me out of my comfort zone. But once I saw that I was capable and could go to somewhere like Lithuania and report, it's just encouraged me to try to find other international stories, you know, because um, people, I, I've gotten so many messages from people around the world, like, how do I buy your book? And I'm not saying that in like a, oh my God, people want to buy right. my book. It just reminds me like sports fans are just everywhere. Like it's the one thing that you can, so many people love. And it just reminds me that like, there's so many stories out there and I gotta, I gotta go beyond my backyard. So with the success of the athletes you write about, the two next people you need to write about are Alfred Sangoon <laughs> and Usman Garuba, both just drafted by the Rockets, both not from the States. Clearly that's the direction we're going to go. And then we'll win a bunch of championships with all these Marin Fader type of athletes that's where we're going not that you need any plugging people know who you are but where where can people find when you write these profiles on green and sangoon and and garuba and so on for the rockets where, where can people find your stuff you know what i'm about to do after this i'm gonna google and i'm gonna see if that if i really should so thank you um, <laughs> 
I'm just at Mirin Fader on Twitter, M-I-R-I-N-F-A-D-E-R. And my website is just MirinFader.com. I worked so damn hard on my website. It is very hard to do that when you're just not, you know, I'm not a tech person. So if you want to- you have so much, you have so much spare time, right? You have so much spare time. (laughs) Before the book came out, I was like, shit, I need to like update my website, you know? And like, it's been years. Like I've got to get it together. And so the night before my book came out, I was doing my (laughs) website. Cause I was like, I think people are going to actually, maybe they'll click on it. And so yeah, (laughs) guys, it's updated. (laughs) So MarinFader.com, MarinFader on Twitter, latest stuff's with the ringer mostly obviously the book will be linked well we're gonna link it on amazon in the show notes but go to your local bookstore right go 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 somewhere else uh, and, and find it there as well but that is new york times best-selling author Marin fader <laughs> thank you for coming by they can't see my face i'm just my eyes are just going <laughs> huge I'm, I'm, I'm shocked anyways thank you, parker what an honor i appreciate your time <laughs> Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But... You're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the Beard Struggle. The Beard Struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll (laughs) keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Class, don't you feel like you learned a little something about writing, or at least the detail and care it takes to write something as great as a New York Times best-selling biography? Shout out to friend of the show, and, and really just friend Mirren for stopping by and talking some about her process, about the book itself, and maybe getting a little hint as to what's next and how she finds what athletes she wants to profile. Again, you can find all of her stuff, as she said, at MirrenFader.com or on Twitter at Mirren Fader, that's at M-I-R-I-N-F-A-D-E-R, or MirrenFader.com for all the latest things from Mirren. As you'll see me post on my own Twitter, hashtag AlwaysReadMirren. As for my Twitter, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512, that's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram, where I'll be posting Stuff like this show, stuff like the stuff I'm putting out with BellyUpSports.com, and all kinds of good content as we get into football season and then basketball season. You'll get to see more and more content pushed out. If you really, really like the basketball talk, you're in luck. The midweek midrange is Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern. It is an all-belly-up show in which we have belly-up writers on to talk basketball all the time. It's obviously a little bit slower time in basketball right now with the offseason going on, but it's live on Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern on Twitter and 
YouTube. Uh, obviously, you can check back on the YouTube for a replay if you want to go back and check the tape. That's at Midweek Midrange on Twitter and Instagram, and we're live on Wednesday nights on Twitter and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and check in to that as well. As for this show, FN Sports does have a Twitter and Instagram page. You can find us on Twitter at FN Sports 2. That's at F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word on Twitter. On Instagram, we're at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. And we make sure we post all of our content on both Twitter and Instagram for you to check out and enjoy. Be sure to like, download, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Do all the wonderful things that help us out. And remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys.